0: 1027, we are going to go back over that again a little bit. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. The following part, sometimes we follow and sometimes not so much. I start off following with good intentions, but then I wonder, how did I end up here? Well, you know, we talk about our little pendulum deal, how the pendulum swings over to the flesh. Man, I can go from pilot to full burn in a heartbeat. All you got to do is look at the news or somebody bring up some silly thing and off we go. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We talked about this last week. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the provocation when they tempted me in the wilderness. We have a today God. And even in the middle of all the craziness that's going on in our world, the the swirl we talk about from time to time, he remains the same. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And one of my favorite scriptures is in First Thessalonians 5.24, and he amplified and it says, Faithful is he who is calling you to himself, and utterly trustworthy. Here's the phrase, and he also will do it. That is, fulfill his call to you by hallowing and keeping you. We're made holy by the power of the blood of Jesus. I mean, we have communion all the time. But that's something that has to be ingested, not just physically. It needs to be ingested spiritually. And I think a large part of the church, including me for a lot of years, was missing the supernatural power of God. We have a supernatural God that does supernatural things. To be born again, to be a follower, requires supernatural action by the living God. So that's what we're going to talk a bit about tonight. So I want to talk about what does following Jesus look like in the real world you know, um, we're going to define what follow means in a number of different words and how that walks itself out, but also looking at who or what we are following, not just in theory, but in reality. Jake and I were talking about this a while back. Easy to give the right answer, but where are our feet going? And that's really, we can tell what's in a person's heart, just watching what their feet go. What are they doing? We can say a lot of things, but the action in Carrying those things out, that's another story. <clears throat> so the good news that we have a God that deals with the weaknesses and our infirmities and has been tempted in all manner as we are yet without sin. So the reality. Sometimes we theologize about a lot of things, but we never get down into the real world. We never be able to bring those things to him and walk in the light. So it's easy to try to clean your act up before you go to the Lord. It's like when he finds out about it when you tell him, hello. You know, Everything is naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so the area of being honest with him, and that's one of the things he's made me do. And I hate to admit this, but I, I have to. He said, Lest you're just blowing me smoke. Why don't you come and just tell me you don't want to do something when you don't? But I said, but I do. And then he comes back with a thing, but he said, watch where your feet go. He said, tell me you don't want to do it. Ask me to create in you power and desire both to willing to do for my good pleasure. He says, When you do that, he said, then I can help you. And I think that's what a a lot of times we're trying to put on religious behavior or go through religious procedures and et cetera in order to try to please him. Do you know that you're pleased with God because you breathe? You know, while we were dead in trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. So why do we think that we have to get it all together first? That's why we so desperately need that relational, intimate place with the living God. That's why the love call is always the same. We're going to talk about that. I'm way ahead of where I was headed. And I don't care. So we're going to talk about values, about our conscience and morals, and values that are based on the Word of God. Now, the other thing is, the influence of culture and the opinions of others have a direct influence on a lot of our lives. Now, I've gathered some information off the internet on social media. Now, if it come off the internet, it's gotta be true, does it not? (laughs) So, here's one thing about Facebook. It says, uh, like a page, and they are showing support that they want to see its content. Then there's a the thing on following, a user who chooses to see all of another's posts in their content feed. Now, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook all have news feed constantly updating. Then there's the follower. Social media follower is, follower is someone who subscribes or opts in to receive updates from a business or brand. There's another thing on Facebook. When you follow someone, you see their post in their news feed. And then this is just a little simple definition of a follower, one who gives full loyalty to another. Social media culture is defined as the beliefs, customs, practices, and social media behavior of a particular nation or people. Shaping our shopping patterns, relationships, and educations this can alter the behaviors and beliefs and even the basic health of people. The internet significantly affects the way people live. Now the soul man or the soul woman is an information gatherer. And that's long before the internet. A lot of times we write a lot, even when we go to church we write a lot of notes that we never read again. But we're gathering information. And I'm not, again, I'd take copious notes, so that's not a shot at anybody in that dimension. But sometimes, you see, we need to take hold of. Jake shared this on Sunday. You know, Dad said, didn't he say, now, you know what I'm going to say. And so you tell him what you're going to say, and then he said, how come you're not doing this, Jake? So, now, he he mentioned my name a couple times, so I had, you know, have a little payback here. (laughs) I love Jake. So... Back to following. Who or what are you following or listening to? In Mark chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said this, take care what you listen to. And I got amen written in my notes behind that. Because there's a lot of information out there that needs to be either discounted, discarded, or at least tested to see what it is. Because the plethora of information out there will weigh you down. And it's one of the tactics of the enemy to bring confusion and bring discord and understanding and to bring strife and division. You know, we've, we've talked all this COVID thing more times than I care to talk about it, but a stupid piece of cloth has caused more division and strife and division in the church house than any other thing I know. So there's an area of learning to discern what to hold on to and what to put in the trash. That's why he says, take care what you listen to. And I think there's a lot of things that need to be discarded from time to time. And I have had to do this on more than one time where, now I haven't said anything out of my mouth, okay? But it's running around on the inside. Sometimes internal dialogue is more dangerous than stuff that comes out of your mouth because we begin to meditate on these things. And these are the things that also produce what I call a belief system. It's a habit pattern. And I was telling the guys this morning, there's a lot of times I'm making a large decision or an evaluation of a person or situation based on minutia. You just see somebody driving down the street or what they're driving or whatever, it's amazing. How the enemy supplies opportunity, what I call inserted thought pattern, to pull you off the mark and bring an accusation or a judgment or a criticism or whatever else. And it comes so easily because we've been trained in it a whole lot more than taking care of what we listen to. And so I think this is part of the area of following me. Because remember, you know, everything's naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And one of my mentors <laughs> when his, said when his mother was checking to see whether he was actually telling it all accurately, she would say, in front of Jesus? <laughs> Got his attention big time. I mean, it was probably 50 years later, he's still telling that story, see? because it impacted him so. And, you know, there's so many times where I get off the trail, so to speak, and the Lord says to me, why don't you pray for that person rather than being critical? Why don't you intercede for them right now? Because, you know, lost people do what lost people do. They act lost. They really do. And sometimes their lostness gets on us. And sometimes we just need to intercede for them. You know, it's National Day of Prayer tomorrow. And there'll be prayer at the uh, courthouse in Coopville, and there's going to be prayer at the Nazarene Church in the parking lot. So it doesn't matter where you go. We spent quite a bit of time in early men's prayer this morning just praying for nation and et cetera. And this has nothing to do with what I'm preaching right now, but this is advertising, I guess. Daniel 9, verse 20, it says, As I was confessing my sins in the sins of my people. I learned this from John Dawson a lot of years ago. He called this identificational repentance. You know, it's a lot of the time, you know, it's those ugly people and their sins or these politicians or whatever. Hey, they're part of us. And I think as we begin to withdraw criticism and turn that into intercession, something changes in me. The situation may not change initially, but I'll tell you what, it sets something in motion. And when you care for people, you know, we, some of us, we go through with this stuff with family members, et cetera. There's, you know, we have some folks that just kind of get right up your nose. We call those grace growers, you know. Th- we need to extend them grace, and they didn't want to send any to us at all. But the mercy of God is needed for everyone. Mercies of God are new every morning, and that's the heart cry of the Father. See, that would, and Jake so beautifully shared this at community. He paid the highest price for freedom. Galatians 5 and 1 says, it's for freedom that Christ Jesus makes you free. So keep standing firm and do not be entangled with a yoke of bondage. I'll tell you, a judgment and criticism weighed the heart down. There's a weight that comes to that thing. And sometimes we're carrying things about other people and situations that tend to quench our spirit. And I'll guarantee you one thing, it doesn't suck the faith out of you faster than anything I know. So if you're packing anything that you don't need to, cast your burden on the Lord, release the weight of it, and he'll sustain you. he will never allow the righteous to stumble, to fall, or fail. And this is where where we're headed here, and somewhere along the line we'll get to that. But intercession is, is just an amazing event. So I want us to talk about Jesus calling the boys to follow him. So if you go with me to John chapter 1, we're going to start there. If you read the, the gospel accounts uh, in in all the, all four gospels, <clears throat> it's hard to track the order. How did this happen? And and etc because he, each writer gives a little bit different version of it. But one of the things that I discovered as I studied through this, I believe there's a process that Jesus did with the boys, and I believe there's a process that he does with us as well. I'll talk a little bit more about that, but I want to read this. I'm going to start in verse 35 of John 35, and we we find John the Baptist speaking here to some of his disciples. Um, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked upon Jesus. And the language there, he looked intently at him as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. And here's the phrase, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you see? Can you imagine that? You know, it's a, what do you guys want? Seekers are hunting something. Now, this is thing, and Jake pointed this out. He says, they answered with a question. And he, they said, Rabbi, which translated teacher, where are you staying? Now, they didn't any more want that than anything. They wanted to have interaction with him. But they asked a question. Now, watch Jesus with this thing. And he said to them, come and you will see. see there's always the invitation into relationship. It's the closeness is bringing us close up to be able to get a hold of. And I'm going to point out a couple more of these things. But these guys were seekers. They heard John and they were seeking. And they came, therefore, and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I can't prove this, but I think the other one was John. And I'll show you that here in a little bit. He He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, why, you're Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. And the next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And then Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now Rick pointed out he may have been reading where Jacob had had the vision and was was seeing that area. He may have been reading that section while he was under the fig tree. A lot of these things are conjecture, but you know, these are possibilities because that was a word of knowledge. Jesus saw him as a visionary. He literally saw him in the spirit and gave understanding to Nathaniel how valuable he was. And that's the other thing. See, Andrew saw the value and he wanted... Peter to get in on this deal as well. So now go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Jesus has been baptized and he's gone through the temptation and he's, he's begun his ministry. So I'm going to read, start reading with chapter 12. That'll give you a little bit of context where we are. Now, when he heard that John had been, Jesus then had been, heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles again the prophetic from the Old Testament is, is being established here the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light and those who were is sitting in the land and the shadow of death upon them a light dawned the word darkness and we're going to talk about that in, in a little bit there was darkness and oppression Isaiah talks about that uh, in a number of different places about the darkness. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, the kingdom of God is coming. The millennial kingdom is coming. But the kingdom already came when the king came. The king was there. So my little phrase for that is, The kingdom is now, but not yet. It's coming, it's increasing, and it's viability. And that's. we'll go on and we'll see what Jesus, what the kingdom looks like now As he begins to to speak, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent seems, one of the words is metanoia. It means change your mind, change how you think. And that's one of the things that is so cardinal in in this season because our mind with all the information that's on the internet and all of the things that are in this world runs our mind away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus. Now, he said this to me a number of times. He said, quit looking at people, look at me. Matter of fact, he even said that about Rick. He said, stop looking at Rick, look at me. Rick's not God. I love Rick as much as anybody. I mean, I've been ministering alongside Rick for 17 years, and I highly respect him, but he's not God, Nor is Jake, nor am I. And I think there's a lot of times we get too people focused or whoever you're following in that area. And there's a lot of people that I tend to listen to and have mentored me over the years, but they're not God. And I think we become people followers. We begin to emulate those kind of people from time to time. And this is another story on me, and I don't like telling very much. But one of my mentors, I was following him into his house one day and he stuck. He turned around and spun around stuck his finger in my chest and he said, quit trying to be someone else. God put an anointing on your life, quit trying to be somebody else. Because I'm trying to learn how to do this pastor thing, see? So I've got little bits and pieces from a whole bunch of people and it was phony. And he discerned it. It was the kindest thing that he could have ever done to me at that point in time. So be careful in emulating other people. Learn what they have, they have, people that have an anointing on their life, pay attention to that. But I'll tell you what, don't try to parrot the information. Get it for yourself, receive it, then you'll have something of yours that you can bring. I generally always try to quote the people who I'm I'm quoting in that area, identify them in in that dimension. You know, some of this stuff I've had for 40 years, it's mine now, I own it. My stuff, because I believe this thing, see when you believe it then you can you can declare this proclaiming and declaring what you believe is a huge part of spiritual warfare and sometimes you got to remind the devil the lake of fire is coming thank you very much shut up and get out of here now verse 18 And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, actually it's Jacob, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them and immediately, they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, notice this, the gospel of the kingdom. This is what it looks like, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people and the news about him went out into all Syria And they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And the great multitudes, here's our phrase, followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond Jordan. So I like to define a couple of things here in verse 19, this whole thing about follow me. The, the word there in, in the Greek is dute. It reminds me of a Dutch word I used to hear my grandfather say. He would say to now. Now, to now was, was drawing me to or getting me on and moving. And the other old Dutch word was come seer. That means come here. Do it quickly. There was an intensity in that language, in, in that dimension. And it means come follow, come here, Come now. Come after me. Now Thayer in his lexicon says, letting me be your guide. It also comes in an imperative form, which is strong word of vital importance, authoritative command, essential, and an urgent thing. The other neat place where that same word is used is in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, where Jesus says, come to me. It's an imperative directive again. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart and you'll find rest for your soul. And I call that the love call of Jesus. That's, that to me is such a precious thing, the invitation to come and come now. And so the boys had to choose uh, to make some life-changing decisions they were leaving businesses, family, a wife in Peter's case, to be a follower. And then in verse 22, 20 and 22, it says, they left the nets in the boat and their father. And that word means to leave one, Zebedee in this case, to leave it to himself so that all mutual claims are abandoned, leaving possessions and home. It's big deal. You know, we kind of read over that, almost like a history lesson from time to time. But you got to live into this thing. They they were in, in business together, and they were partners. Remember, that there was another place. It was uh, James and John and Peter and Andrew. They were, they were partners. So they left him, and they followed him. The word followed means to be in the same way with, to follow one who proceeds. Here's the phrase, to join as a disciple. A disciple is a learner. That's a basic definition of a disciple. And he was training them. Remember, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. There's a becoming and a, and a change in, in that area. Now, here's Thayer again. He says, to cleave steadfastly to one conforming wholly or completely to his example in living and, if need be, in dying also. So, these are things that we have to make a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it may cost you. And in some instances, many of you, it's cost you something. A lot of times it's with family approval. And, you know, you, you get a little bit weird like me and they think, well, I don't know what this guy's all about. And so they kind of hold you off at a, at a distance. You know, they, they did some of that to me at the dealership. This lesson's just really gotten weird. Yeah, he did. But he got saved, too, in the process. So it's a huge, radical uh, life-changing decision for them as well as it is for us. See, there's a difference between a follower of Jesus Christ and a church attender. I was a church attender for a lot of years. A lot of it was against my will. When your dad's a pastor, you don't have any choice. You have to go to church. I heard this story one time, too. This mom says, time to get ready for church. The fellow says, I don't want to go to church. She says, you got to go to church. No, I don't want to go to church. You have to go to church. You're 36 years old, and you're the pastor. (laughs) Sometimes we get into that mode, you know. Dumb. So giving up. What we held on to, we, you know, reiterated a couple of things the boys had to give up. But here's another list. Habits, belief system, stuff, position, family approval, idols, flesh, that profits nothing. Sometimes you've got to lay some stuff aside. And I certainly had to do that, and alcohol was one of them. I remember the Lord saying to me, listen, for what I've got for you to do, you can't do this anymore. I said, but look at all my Christian buddies. They have a beer once blah, blah, blah. I'm arguing with them. And then I said, okay, I'll quit drinking the hard stuff and I'll quit going to bars, but I'm not giving up my beer. And I've told some of this story before, but I'm walking through Jiffy Mar one day and I got a case under my arm. I run smooth into the guy that's teaching the Bible study I'm going to. I just will run into Jesus himself, man, that was over. Because see, he didn't say anything when I gave him my little plan, and I thought he's cool with that. He was cool with it, all right. But it put it to death. The flesh had to die because it was idolatrous. And they don't call alcohol spirits for nothing. I guarantee you there's a spirit that goes with that sorry thing. And I, it had a hold of me and it was in my family line. Not my parents, but I had an uncle on both sides of the family. And I hadn't intended to share this tonight, but somebody's got to hear that because I'll guarantee you that foul spirit will take you down a road you don't want to go left unattended. Got a hook in it, big time. So, what is gained in following Jesus is light and truth, freedom and peace, real life. Man, I tell you what, when I surrendered my life to the Lord, when I laid the alcohol aside, like the weight of this building came off me. It's just, it's amazing. I just, there's a transformation that takes place because it's supernatural, You can't learn that by reading enough Bible or cleaning your act up. You have to have something done to you to become a follower. See, you're a tender to a seeker to a receiver of being made into something new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation altogether. Old things have passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. There's a whole lot of fresh yet. I'm sorry, this is not my notes either, but somebody needs to know this. This is in Mark chapter 4, that words, are chapters 4. It's in, I'm going there in a minute. But it's in chapter 16, where Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay the hands on the sick and they recover. Here's the word, recover what was lost, what was taken from us, what we gave away and what we've never had. There's a whole bunch waiting to be received of the never had part that is waiting for us. And the the passion of the Father's heart is for us to be able to receive him first, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then what he's got laid in store. Mark 16. It begins in the phrase, these signs will follow them that believe. See, this is what church ought to be like. We have a little interaction from time to time. See? Get off the mark. Get away. Jake told me that. You know, don't follow your notes so close tonight. I needed that word tonight. This, this is what it gets to be fun. So you begin to discover what's there, what we've missed, just going to church, sitting in straight rows, looking the back of one another's heads. You know, that's not church at all. The interaction and the relationship, because we're part of the body, right, Jake? It's what he preached on Sunday. Man, if you hadn't heard Sunday's sermon, you know, please do. Because I am so onto that area. The value of the togetherness, doing it together, being a functional part of the body. Man, one part of your physical body is where your whole body knows it. My back has been a little grumpy from time to time. Man, everybody knows it in there. Okay. Enough off the track. John chapter 8 we're going to look at the story of Jesus dealing with a woman taken in adultery. So I want us to see a picture of what freedom comes like when we become a follower. So starting with verse 1 of chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people were coming to him or following him, we could add in there. And he sat down and began to teach. Interruption comes. And the uh, scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now I'm always wondering, where's the man? What's up with this? Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman what then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. You know, I, it, you know the scripture doesn't tell us what was written there. But something was written that we'll see in a moment brought incredible conviction. Now, he wasn't bringing condemnation on the boys that were bringing it there. He was bringing conviction. That's what the Spirit of God does. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin, and the language there is really the same sin, among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman, where she had been, in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And the Lord said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, sin no more. So he wasn't condoning what she'd done. He just gave her an opportunity. In essence, saved her life. Because they were fixing to stone her big time. And yet when they were convicted in their own hearts, that's another issue altogether. Do you suppose that that lady became a follower? I certainly do. Absolutely. And she received freedom and her life back. See, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. This is what grace looks like. We don't uh, condone sin at all. We're, We're straight up against sin. But boy, we're full of grace and anointing and being able to help people walk out of that sorry thing that's trapped them for whatever reason, for however long. It's always the come to me. Come here, bring your stuff. Let's process that. Now, I suggest that following Jesus will prevent adultery or any other sin. You know it's hard to sin when Jesus is present? It really is. The Proverbs says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. So if you're fixing to do something dumb, like sin, acknowledge Jesus. It'll shut it down in a heartbeat. it acknowledge his presence. He says, my presence shall go with you and I'll give you rest. And so that's the, the element of... To be able to do that. Now, I want to progress on. Go look at uh verse 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, I've kind of just added a, like a paraphrase of this I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness adultery or any sin but will have the light of life get me it's that relational place that establishes something of want to in our heart rather than have to because that's a lot of the things sometimes we get ourselves by the ear and make ourselves do something we really don't want to do so then he comes and says why don't you let me create in you power and desire both to will and to do for my good pleasure and then we can have relationship together. So I want to talk a little bit about darkness. Remember the ones in Zebulun in and Naphtali? That's where the light shone, and that's a prophetic word about Jesus. Darkness is a big deal. I think most all of us recognize, even with this pandemic and all the things that surround us, a lot of darkness, a lot of political stuff. There's darkness and oppression. Man, it's everywhere. Strife and division and all kinds of things that are oppressive. So, <clears throat> back in looking at the story and that, obviously the woman and her accusers had been walking in darkness. I think that's maybe what Jesus was writing on the deck at that point in time. The word walk means to frequent, to stay. Can be how one conducts ourselves, our behavior. Now, darkness is an interesting word also. It's ignorance of divine things and its associated wickedness And the resultant misery that comes with it, a want of light. But you know the root of it is blindness, no vision. Without a vision, the people perish. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And it wasn't the information they lacked. It was willingness to obey what they already had. Hosea is really clear on that. Now, in, in Ephesians 6, 12, it says, We wrestle not with flesh and blood. So our admonition is don't wrestle with people not where the battle's at, but with principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and wicked spirits in heavenly places. This is spiritual warfare. It's a hierarchy structure that's listed there. But one of the translations says, I think this is amplified, it says, world forces of this present darkness, or the ruler of darkness. And the Lord said this to me a while back. He said, see darkness as an entity, a spirit behind the darkness. This is what it is. So we're not looking for demons under every bush, but I'll tell you what, the military people know this for sure. You best know what the enemy's up to. That's why we do reconnaissance to start with. And I'll tell you what we need to be able to do these kind of things. That's why we take care of what we listen to. When the liar is speaking, there ought to be a red flag that goes off on the end. something's wrong with that. Reject that part. And then we say, but Lord, what do you say? We're listening. That was the first part, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So um, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians deals a lot with Paul defending him the ministry that God has given to him. And all the accusation, the underminings, and who are you and blah, 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 just goes on and on. And he is really straight up and really declares who God called him to be and what to do and how to be able to speak truth. So I'm gonna be just beginning with verse one here. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry. As we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, we're telling the truth, people. Listen to this. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those that are blind. It goes on to explain this. Verse 4, <clears throat> in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. Well, this just reiterates this the same message. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God said Light shall shine out of darkness. Let me just stop there for a second. You know, you can take, the go into the blackest cave. I've been in a few caves in in Kentucky. Man, it is so black. And then they turn the lights out, and you know, it's like you can almost feel it. But you can take the smallest little bitty flashlight. The darkness can't stop it. So the liar that comes along with this darkness in that area needs to be seen as that. Turn the lights on turn the word on, turn Jesus on, and all of a sudden things become clear that were all muddy that you couldn't see before. Light is huge. It's an essential for vision. See, the first thing that was created was light. Light and revelation. You see, that, that's another whole dimension. In, in Ephesians 1, you knew I'd get to Ephesians sooner or later, it says, I, Paul says, I pray that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him by having the eyes of your understanding open and your heart flooded with light into the deep and the intimate knowledge of God. That is, I got saved praying that. But you know, that's a thing that wasn't a one-time event. I go to that all the time. But I don't see that. What's going on here? What am I missing here? Those are the kind of questions that a seeker really is after all the time because otherwise we're reading through the Bible as a, as a spiritual exercise and you don't get anything. But when you stop and ask questions, you look at cross-references and talk to the Lord about it and tell what are you trying to commune? What am I missing here? I cannot tell you how many times I did that just trying to prepare this teaching for tonight because I didn't get it and I still don't. So I'm not standing up here projecting to you that I know how to be a follower. No, I know how I need to to be a follower. I'm growing in that thing, and it's an increasing dimension of passion for the things of the Lord and how to be able to do it with one another as well. Pardon me? darkness? Darkness is an entity. There's a spirit that comes with that. It's a demon spirit that is behind oppression and undermines the credibility. First of all, who God is, that's the number one thing the enemy does, and it undermines the worth and the value of individual people. I can talk to you more about that afterwards, but that's the essence of it. That's one of the things he really saw. And that's why, I see, it's, it's world forces of this present darkness. This is real stuff in the spirit realm. And a lot of times we don't see that part. Give you a little bit more of that here in a moment. Let me finish this up. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as his bondservants for Jesus' sake. So we read that part. Now, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. That is so incredible that we do this. No matter what we teach or we share with other people, this isn't about me. It's about him, and I need this as much as anybody in the house. I guarantee you. Now, First John, you can just listen to this for a second. First John five nineteen says, "We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, or in the power of darkness." But the good news is, Jesus said this in John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. And it is Paul was on trial before Agrippa and Uncle Festus, then... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. It's just Uncle Festus didn't get it. And, you know, either he or Felix had said, you know, you almost persuade me to be a Christian, you know, because the anointing was there as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so his, his defense this is Acts 26 18. What Jesus said to Paul, he said, to open the eyes, their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. That's Damascus Road stuff. It was just an amazing area. So, remember Rick's teaching on the wasteland and rebellion? You know, Israel didn't do really good in a lot of things. You know, 10 times they tested him and it just goes on and on. But how to get out of rebellion as in the wilderness is the need to be led out of darkness. So Rick laid this out to us that it started with the priestly tribe of Levi, okay? Levi were intercessors. I'm an intercessor and I love intercessors and being with them. But Moses was praying for the people multiple times. Aaron, on the other hand, took the censer and incense and ran among the people to stop the plague that was coming down. For us also to come out of the wasteland of rebellion and whatever dimension that is requires intercession. And I already shared a number of times that I'm a product of that. It also requires a desire to be free. This is where I think the human will is involved in this. You know, this stuff doesn't fall on you like ripe apples off a tree. You got to fight for this thing. You fight to get the enemy out, and then you fight to keep him out. And it's an area that we desperately need each other and help in this. So old habits and belief systems need to die. And I need to come to the light of the knowledge of truth himself. So here's my question So, who or what am I following to get out of the wasteland? Who's leading? In this thing, am I leading or is the helper leading? Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, interestingly, follows Romans chapter 7. And Romans chapter 7, Paul, among other things, says, you know the things I want to do I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. He says, like, what's up with that? He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thank God through Jesus Christ. And he goes on, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, etc." But he also is contrasting flesh and spirit. And so I want to pick up down in verse 12. Remember, Jesus said in John uh, 63, it says, the spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, there's spirit in their life. And see, the first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit because the power of the Holy Spirit was in Jesus while he was ministering. He says, I and the Father are one. You, you can't separate these. We talk about them differently. They all have different roles and etc., but they're all one. How does that work? I don't know. It just says that, so I believe that, and that settles it. But we're learning to understand the power and the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Verse 12, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh or the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And we've talked about this a number of times, but it needs to be reiterated. The flesh never puts flesh to death. You know, we, you know, willpower works for a little bit. But to do anything over an extended time frame, you know, you're going to need some help. And I'm going to need some help. That's why I said earlier, we need the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to put the flesh to death. And the reason it doesn't work is there's no faith in the flesh. The soul does not produce faith. Faith is birthed in the Spirit by the Holy Spirit of the living God. Jesus Christ authors and finishes faith. And so that's another whole reason why I continue to teach on faith. Now, he said, keep this simple and attainable to be a follower of. Of Jesus so I want to break some a few things down here and listen to me clearly this is not procedure it's relationship that's the whole of this thing because again faith doesn't come in procedure and reiterating things again and again this thing is lived out by the grace of God <clears throat> So the first thing I have listed is show up when called and invited. Jesus says, come here. Come here, Jake. Come now. Come as you are, not as you ought to be. See, that's the second step in there. You don't try to figure this thing out or try to fix it or, or, or do those things. And then the next thing that's necessary is to ask questions. I think that's another area of learning how to be a follower is to ask questions. You know, last week I said that on your reading list, it ought to be John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Jesus talks about the power of the Holy Spirit there and imparted these things to the boys before he went to the cross. It's absolutely vital. I think Mark chapter four is the other one that needs to go on your reading list because Jesus talks about the word. So the word and the spirit, and that's what gives us balance, that gives us insight. How to be able to do this. So he he taught this thing to an Agrarian society. These people knew sowing seeds, reaping, you know, hard ground birds, etc. They understood all that. So he gets done telling this, this story about the sower sows the word, and then he walks off. He doesn't give any explanation thing to it initially. Now, listen to this. He says kind of at the end of it, he says, and he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then verse 10, as soon as he was alone, his followers, I call them seekers, along with the 12 began asking him about the parables. And then he begins to teach this whole thing. He begins to explain in that area. That's why it's such an imperative, in my opinion, to ask him questions and see what that is and for Anna that's for you to start with ask him some questions and I'll be glad to share with you but when you get it from Jesus faith comes with it you don't just get information you get revelation there's a vast difference between the two and that's what the spirit of God is drawing us into into that relational part come and ask questions remember John 10 27 my sheep hear my voice I know them and they follow me. Now, the next thing I have written down there is to be a good receiver. That's our word lumbano again, to receive what is offered, not to refuse or reject. Two-part word. You know, and I've done a lot of this in over my lifetime, and that, well, you know, I like this part of scripture, but this part not so much. So i just kind of ignore that. Boy, one of my mentors said to me, Les, you will form your theology on all of Scripture, not on select portions. And I so needed to hear that at that point in time. And that's one of the things when you're teaching through the whole gospel, that's why I so appreciate Rick. Man, he just he goes and he gets the hard stuff. And I've done this from time to time. Jake's never done this, but I jump over some of the tough stuff from time to time. And I said, Oh, that's hard. I don't know what that means. Well, that's why we come and ask questions. We have dialogue and we, we work together. And I do this with Don all the time. What do you think that means? Or, you know, we, we pray together and we test these things. That's why I said, the word says test all things and then you hold on to that, which is good. So This is an this is important part of being able to do. So being a good receiver, number one, you got to be born again. See, I was trying to learn out uh, spiritual stuff and I wasn't saved. I mean, I was a church kid, you know, dad's a pastor, etc., but I wasn't born again. John 1 and 12 says, to as many as received him, him Jesus, to them he gave power to become sons or children of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We had this last week, Luke eleven thirteen. 13. You being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And that's not a one-time event. It needs to start somewhere where we begin to receive the power of the Spirit. But it's a continuum. It's ongoing, continuous action of something supernatural. And then, number five is do what Jesus tells you. When you hear him, do it. He hears these words of mine and acts on them. I'll show you what he's like. He's a man that digs deep for a foundation you got to dig deep in this. Sometimes you got to dig deep in some old rubbish in your life that needs to be cast out. Some stuff just needs to pass away and die. But that's a work of grace. And the Spirit of God will do that for us. And I've heard him say that, unless it's in your heart, let me have that and i give you my grace. And I said at that time, I said, I think I need the grace first. He said, no. He says, this is idolatrous. You need to give this up. And those are the things he goes right at the issue. And I'm so grateful that he has done that. Because otherwise I've got this thing I'm overworking on. Then he'll say, well, how's that working for you? Mm, not so good. he okay, you done yet? You want to talk about it now? Then he brings us in that loving area and establishes a way of escape and the ability to walk in the light. Colossians 3.16, the first part, it says, let the word of Christ ritually dwell within you. So I guess my question is, do you have a desire to be a follower? I certainly do. I want to know more. I want to be able to, you know, that, that whole becoming is, is something, again, of the power of God. It's changing and transforming us. So there's a, there's a place for all of us, a place within the body, a place... See, you have some, if you know Jesus, you have something to bring to the body, not just the church here, but the body of Christ that nobody else on the planet can bring because you're hardwired in a certain way, you're gifted in a certain way, and you have something to bring. And one of the principles of the kingdom is if you want to keep of this, you've got to give it away. You start stockpiling, it's all about you. That thing begins to wither on the inside of you. But once you start giving away, it begins to flow. There's a flow in, then there's a flow out. And we need to know the timing of that. We know what the gift and the calling that God's placed on your life and to be able to function in that. Cam had a word a while back, stay in your lane. Boy, I've really had to learn that one. So, part of this area is coming to the light and receiving the light. That's what finishes this off. This is John 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light. Here's the phrase, so that you may become sons of light. Light. Birth something of understanding on the inside of it like nothing else. And then go back to the thing in John 8:12. Um, then Jesus spoke again to them: I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's a following and anointing to come and receive. And then Galatians 5:16 will close with this: But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire or the lust of the flesh. So the anointing of God is available to anybody. It's like the sun will shine on anybody to get out in it. And so drawing near and establishing, and receiving what he has laid in store, what his desire, what his passion is for you as a son or daughter of the living God. If you've not been born again, man, this is a great time to do that. Receive the lordship authority of Jesus Christ. And if you got other areas or desires for more of him, then we're available to pray, and we'll be glad to pray with you. But this is something I believe that God is calling us to do on a repeat basis, that relational, intimate place with him to understand how much he loves us. Love covers a multitude of sin, and also faith works by love. It's the only way it works. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we've, we've covered some turf tonight. And I ask that you would continue to stimulate in us an appetite and a hunger for more of you, for truth, for light, for an understanding of how to be able to walk in the light. And Lord, to also to intercede for those that are yet in darkness. And that have been overrun, Father, by sin in their own lives. And the condemnation and the shame of the enemy has caused them to withdraw or to hide or excuse or to continue on in sin. When all we need to do is come and repent and turn and receive all that you've intended and purposed for us. Go back to that little word there in Mark 16. Receiving, recovery, recovery in that which we've never had. There is so much that you have intended and purpose for our lives. I ask that you would give us grace to be good receivers of your intended purpose in Jesus' holy name. Let's worship together. And if you have something you'd like to pray about, please come.